Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we're going to eat your brains and get your knowledge. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week, we are talking about the 2007 grindhouse zombie film, Planet Terror. Planet Terror. You know, I saw this once before now. And it was in bits and pieces. I think it was playing at a party or something. Which means you saw, like, none of it. Well, all I can remember is the gun leg and the hospital and the zombies. <laughs> and seeing it this time full, I'm like, what? Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, practice the three R's. Rate, review, and retweet. Rate, review, and retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little watch party. Remember, if you haven't gotten me a gift yet, take yourself on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Yeah. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. We really want to hear from you guys. Absolutely. All right, folks, remember, uh, standard trigger warning, this film is rated R for Rodriguez. So um, we're going to try and spare you most of the gore and uh, most of the really gross stuff about this. If you want the full disgusting effect, go watch the movie. It, I, you're not going to pay a lot of money to rent it. I guarantee you. The garbage and the immaculate nature of all of your selections this month. <laughs> it's all over the place. It is all over the place. <laughs> you have the Weinsteins in play in almost every film. Yeah. But you also have Robert Rodriguez keeping it cool. But then there's... You know, QE. I know. Tarantino's been involved in every project you've picked. And I really didn't do it that way on purpose. I know. It was something I forgot after the fact. All these movies seem to have come out, including this one, in that little phase of your life. It, yeah. Like, you know, that oh, that oh three to 09 whatever. <laughs> You know, so there was something about film. My adolescence, baby. <laughs> I was coming into my own. You really were. Say a prayer for your old man. No dead bodies for Dada tonight. Add me on. I got bit. Bit by what? If I told you, you probably wouldn't believe me. They're not living. How was that? They're not dead. To the hell are the bodies? They're gone. They're not stopping. What the hell is going on? Jerry. This infection will spread all over the world. You want the story? I'll spin it for you quick. We got a face full of DC too. But the laws of science are broken. Right now, the soldiers are turning. Don't taunt me, Tramp. Once that happens, they'll tear us apart whether they want to or not. The side effect is terror. I swore to my men that I'd do everything in my power to keep them alive. I never had a choice. Now, the last hope for humanity. I'm gonna go get Jerry. Fine, but we're taking my car. I'm riding with you. Rests in the hands of a few. I have no leg! I made you something. Stand. Chop them off. Robert Rodriguez, Planet Terror, a grindhouse feature. Gather round, children. Granny's going to explain what a grindhouse theater is. 
Tell us, Granny, tell us, what was Grindhouse like when you were a kid? So starting back in the 20s, movie theaters started figuring out that they could make more money if they gave audiences the old two-for-one deal, right? Uh Uh-huh. They have these double features with low ticket prices, and the movies were usually pretty bad. Science fiction. Double feature. Yes, yes. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Science fiction, double feature. Usually horror movies, science fiction, exploitation. Stuff no one in their right mind with enough money would pay full price to see. Uh uh But they still had their own quirks and their own uh, characteristics that, you know, I separate them as a genre from the rest of film. And VCR pretty much killed the grindhouse business model in the late 80s because people could stay at home and watch bad movies. No sense in making an evening out of it. No, no. And so if you've been with us all month, you know we've already done a Robert Rodriguez film and a Quentin Tarantino film. Two. Two of them. Grindhouse was released as a double feature with Tarantino directing Death Proof, which is one of my least favorite of his films. Mm, one of. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's, the one, that's the one where Kurt Russell literally murders women with a stunt car. <laughs> what? It, it's I'm like... sorry, I, I don't need to know the whole thing and I won't watch it, but like... <laughs> Kurt Russell murdering women with a stunt car? It is absurd. And then... (laughs) And then... Film of the absurd. Yeah, film of the absurd. (laughs) And then Rodriguez directed Planet Terror. And I feel like Planet Terror is the lesser known of the two. Screenings and DVDs of these films, the, the Grindhouse release, Tarantino and Rodriguez, were often accompanied by fake trailers for fake movies. Love it. Two of which were made into actual movies, Machete and Hobo with a Shotgun. Amazing. Those started off as jokes. I did not know Machete started off as a joke like that. It absolutely did. Does this explain why Machete is the spy kid's uncle? No, but it does. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's a Robert Rodriguez film. No, yeah, I guarantee you. (laughs) I love it. I guarantee you he just wanted it because Machete in Spy Kids proceeds the Machete movie. Okay. So, yeah, that's where he got the idea. Uh, The other trailers that were accompanied with these screenings uh, was the movie called Thanksgiving, which is a fake slasher film about a serial killer who dresses up as a pilgrim. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Don't, which is a haunted house movie, as in don't go in there. Sure. Jason Isaacs is in that fake trailer. Oh, we love our buddy Jason. (laughs) And last but never least ridiculous, werewolf women of the SS. As in like, the Nazi police? Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm glad that one never got made into a real movie. Jesus. Is it time to talk about the problematic trope in your selections? Oh, boy. <laughs> For this month. <laughs> God. Okay, so, like I said, I have no control over the fact that Weinstein is involved in all of these projects. You're right. And that's not separating the art from the artist. Weinsteins are not the artists. They really are. They're aren't. the bankrollers. Yeah, they're the money people. Yeah. And so. <laughs> but still, Tarantino. Anyway. <laughs> Which is a great segue into the commercial success of this film. I know you're just aching to talk about how much this movie lost in revenue. I have ennui about how much <laughs> money the film lost. Because, you know, the film. Mm, 
It's, you know, it's a fine piece. It's a fine piece of film. It's a joke. I enjoyed the picture. You're right. It's a movie that's made bad on purpose, and I love those. And remember when we did Sin City at the beginning of the month, I was like, I cannot take any of this seriously. <laughs> I am exhausted. <laughs> I almost had the same feeling about this until uh-huh. I'm like, okay, it's one colossal, it's not a parody, but like, it's it's a joke. It's, it's I feel like it's a little satirical. It's, it's satirical on Grindhouse. Absolutely. Am I right or am I wrong? You are very correct. But and- the film still lost nearly 14 million dollars and which bring which brings us to Weinstein because like i said earlier i feel like more people know about death proof than they than they do about planet terror and i feel like the reason for that has everything to do with Harvey Weinstein for those of you who have been living under a rock for the last 3 years the star of this movie Rose McGowan was one of the first actresses to come forward with allegations against Harvey Weinstein in 2018 more than 10 years after this movie was released at the time Rodriguez was directing he was dating McGowan and wanted to put her in the movie he was he had every he had already envisioned this badass female character for her but Rose McGowan knows she's been blackballed from Hollywood because of what she said Harvey Weinstein did to her in 1993 and so this is where she confided in him that he had assaulted her and subsequently blacklisted her from Hollywood as a result which really just ticked Rodriguez the fuck off I mean yeah like when he heard this it angered him so much that he cast her in the lead role he he knew Like, what was Harvey going to do? Tell him no? But it didn't make him angry enough to stop doing business with Weinstein-related companies in the subsequent years. Like, after all he did to piss Harvey off, they still sold this movie to the Weinstein company. So he's part hero, part capitalist. Such is life, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. And Rodriguez suspected that Weinstein intentionally slashed the advertising budget for this movie because he cast Rose McGowan. And, like, I mean, couldn't you totally see that happening? Yes. But I, I can, because like, men do fucked up things for really extreme reasons. Yeah. And Rodriguez isn't off the hook for this. Like, I do agree that it's really cool that he cast her in this movie as a middle finger to Harvey, but he still makes some really questionable choices with this film. Indeed. So that brings us to We've Got Names. And do we ever. Playing our heroine, Cherry Darling, today, we have, like I said, Rose McGowan. Aw, hi, babe. I, you know you know where I know her from. Tell me, I forget. Scream. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I forgot she was in Scream. She's the friend stuck in the garage door in Scream. <laughs> yes. She was also on the television show Charmed. And she was in Jawbreaker, going all the way. She is also an author and an activist, speaking out against sexual assault and harassment. Every television interview Rose McGowan has given over the last three years, I have chills. Oh, I know. Because it's the power. Right? It's the power. She wrote a memoir. She shaved her head. She said, this is who I am and this is what happened. And we're not going to let sick fucks like this get away with anything like this. I love her so much. No, she literally, I mean, I'm not going to say she started the Me Too movement, but like. She had a lot to do with it. She did. She had a major role in it. And also, time's up. Exactly. I like, I, I, I love the solidarity that women in the industry were able to have at that time and they still have it Mm -hmm. and it's important to keep that going playing El Ray today (laughs) that is his name (laughs) come on I I didn't write it I know I know go on playing El Ray today we have Freddie Rodriguez no relation sup Freddie (laughs) 
Really? Yeah. No no relation. No relation. Not his brother or anything. Nope. I totally thought he was his brother or nope. something. No, I did too when I was young, but nope, they are of no relation. He was in Six Feet Under, Ugly Betty. He's on that show Bull, which is supposedly based on Dr. Phil. And then- Okay, but you know I've only ever seen him in one other film. And he brought this to my attention while we were watching the movie. <laughs> I wish y'all could have seen my face. <laughs> Guys, he's the he's that guy in Lady in the Water, the one that only works out on one side of his body. I wanted to yell. And Lady in the Water is a horrible film, <laughs> but I still watch it because I love Shyamalan. <laughs> and you know how I have an affinity for Shyamalan films that are probably not so good. Yeah. <laughs> Get ready. I know, re- I know, I'm ready. I can't believe I bought Lady in the Water. <laughs> I encouraged you to buy it because I thought, but if you love this movie so much, just buy it. Then you won't have to rent it over and over again. You spent $15 and then watched it. And I was like, wow, <laughs> it's it's objectively worse than I thought. <laughs> it's worse than you remember. I know. I hate it when that happens. Playing Dr. William Block today, we have Josh Brolin, son of James Brolin and stepson of Barbara Streisand. And older brother of Mikey Walsh from The Goonies. <laughs> yes, that's where most of us know Josh Brolin from. He's Brad Walsh. He walked into our little hearts as Brad Walsh in The Goonies. And then 18 years later was George W. Bush in W. I know. That's so wild. That is wild. He's also in No Country for Old Men, American Gangster, True Grit, which was one of the best remakes I've ever seen. I remember that movie. It's It was I, a good movie. I remember watching that movie with you. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I remember enjoying it and, my, and when Dad was like, it was a remake. He's also the voice and motion capture performer for the supervillain Thanos in the Marvel Universe. Is he really? Yes, he is. I had no idea. You know that supervillain that looks like Michael Chiklis mated with Grimace from McDonald's? <gasps> <laughs> Ding dong, Marvel's here again. Oh my god, can't get away from Marvel these days. <laughs> Playing Dr. Dakota Block today, we have Marley Shelton. Hey, welcome back, babes. I think that in a course of like a month and a half, we've covered every single movie that, that we know her from. Yeah. Like, she, we've done three movies in the last month and a half with her in it. She was with us when we did The Sandlot. She's Wendy Peppercorn. I looked at the, the poster for this movie with her looking rough, and I was like, <laughs> Wendy Peppercorn. Ugh. And she was in Sin City at the beginning of the month. For five seconds. For five seconds. <laughs> She's also from Pleasantville, Never Been Kissed. I love her. She's always a good time. Playing JT Haig today, we have Jeff Fahey. Uh, I didn't. I've not seen a lot of stuff that he's in. He was on Lost for a period of time. He was the star of a show called Marshall. He's been in a lot of movies, but half of them don't have Wikipedia pages. So take that for what it's worth. Playing Sheriff Haig today, we have Michael Bain. Bain. Bien. Bean. I'm gonna call him Michael Bien. <laughs> He's part of the James Cameron Mafia. He was in The Terminator, The Terminator sequel. He's in Aliens and The Abyss. Ooh. And he had an uncredited role as a basketball player in Greece. Wow. Yeah, he must have been a baby for that one. Wow. Playing Lieutenant Muldoon today, Bruce Willis is back. Hi, Bruce. (laughs) Welcome back. Didn't think I'd see you so soon, but I did. He was in Sin City at the beginning of the month. He is also famously the star of Sixth Sense and the Die Hard franchise. And never forget that he voiced the baby in Look Who's Talking. Okay. 
His casting in this movie is an actual reference to Grindhouse movies themselves. Directors of these films would hire one big-ticket actor to draw in audiences, then place them in a bit role to minimize the money they had to spend on them, Uh but but still be able to put them on the poster. I love that. I know, right? Isn't that nice? (laughs) Isn't that cool? (laughs) Playing Abby today, we have Naveen Andrews. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I... I know. I I know. I'm low-key obsessed with Naveen Andrews. He's underrated. Yeah, I've only ever seen him in like two movies. He's so gorgeous. <laughs> He's British. He played Saeed in Lost, so that's another person who's been on Lost. Oh yeah, that movie. For which he, that movie? I know. It's a joke. <laughs> oh yeah, that movie Lost. <laughs> that really long movie that ends in a middle finger. Yeah. He won a SAG award for that. Good. He's also in The English Patient, Rollerball. We know him from Mighty Joe Young. I love that movie. And he is also in the Diana biopic with Naomi Watts. Do you know who he plays? Does he... Does he play Dodi Fayed? No, he does not. He does he play Mohammed Fayed? No, he plays the man that she left for Fayed, Dr. Hasnat Khan. But she didn't leave Dodi Fayed. No, she... She died with Dodi Fayed. No, no, no. She left Hasnat Khan for Dodi Fayed. Oh, you said it the other way around. Well, that's not what I meant. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, don't, don't you dare trip me up on my Diana knowledge. No, 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 no. I, I, I wouldn't dare. I just misspoke. Playing Tammy Vizan today, we have Stacy Ferguson. Guys, it's Fergie. Fergie Ferg is here. Yeah, first class up in the sky. So many things, Ferg. I know. So many things, Ferg. Before we move on to the film, we have some honorable mentions. Nikki Cat is back this week from Sin City. He was the uh, goon with the swastika tattooed in the middle of his forehead. Oh, yeah, the South Dakota guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have legendary practical effects artist Tom Savini with us. Yeah. He was heavily involved with From Dusk Till Dawn, which is also a Rodriguez film. And uh, Michael Parks is back this week. He was with us in Kill Bill. He is reprising his role from Kill Bill as Sheriff Earl McGraw, a character that he also played in From Dusk Till Dawn and in Death Proof. So... I'm guessing this puts all of our setting in Texas. Yeah, uh, all of our, I think all of our movies, no, not Sin City, but the rest of our movies have been set yeah, in Texas. Yeah, that takes place in Basin City. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Basin City. What if Basin City is in Texas? You know what there's a lot of on the Gulf Coast in Texas? Basins? Basins. <laughs> begins on Wednesday, April 15th. The day the Titanic sank. No. uh, It is. Wait, really? April 15th is, yeah. Oh, right, because they hit the iceberg on the 12th. On the, well, actually 14 comes before 15. Oh, wait, no. They hit the... (laughs) Imagine if it took three days for the Titanic to sink and they still lost 1,500 people. Sorry, no. (laughs) The reason I said 12 because it sank in 1912. Exactly. I got mixed up. No, this is not the day the Titanic sank. No. (laughs) This is the day the zombie apocalypse begins. Remember? Yeah. Back in 2007. 
when the zombie apocalypse started. Yeah. Oh no, we're gonna get like references to Bin Laden in this story. That's right. That's, that's how, right. That's how out of control this gets. Anyways. Let's talk about our heroine first. The daring, spitfire, go-go dancer, Cherry Darling. I love this banging opening credit sequence. Oh yeah, Robert Rodriguez writing the music again. And, and, and you're right, it's just kind of this big, she, oh, she using her body, that big middle finger. Oh. I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm loving it. Fuck you, Harv. At the beginning of this movie, she's living in a small rural town in Texas, working at a club called Skip's Go Go Go. I thought it was called Skip's a Go Go. No, I don't know how. You I, I don't know why I thought that. The movie starts, like you said, with a montage of her dancing on the stage in this club. There is a pole, but she is not a stripper. Don't call her a stripper. She is a go-go dancer. She's a go-go dancer. There is Fuck a you. difference. And you know there is actually a difference. Of course there is. Go-go dancers are like the hype men for the club. They get everybody hyped for the strippers to come out. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Go, go, go. They're hitting the exploitation angle hard in this opening scene. I don't care. <laughs> That. Sorry, sorry. And like, what makes it all worse is that by the end of the song, she's up there crying. Like, I don't know why she's crying. Like but Michelle Pfeiffer in Greece too. Like, she's supposed to be delivering a performance, like, but she's just sobbing. I don't know why she's crying, but at least I care enough about her as a person to ask. I guess, yeah. You and me, front row at Skips Go Go Go. Absolutely. And we're like, oh, honey, babes, why are you? Come on, you want to go talk? Absolutely. Let's go have a cigarette. Let's go talk about it. And you know who doesn't give a shit about why she's crying? Skip. Yeah, fuck Skip. The club owner. She's back in the dressing room cleaning herself up, getting ready to leave, and Skip goes back there to chew her out for crying on stage. Sure, darling. Told you too many fucking times. Can't be up there crying and all that shit. You know what go-go dance is? Useless talent number 12? No, it's a happy dance. Get up there and you dance happy. It's go-go, not cry-cry. About Cherry is she has this thing about useless talents, you know? She doesn't think of herself as having very many marketable skills, so her life strategy is to market herself using her useless talents, one of them being go-go dancing. And we'll hear about many of her other useless talents throughout the movie. Will we ever? I just, I just, I love Cherry. I wish she got a better rap in this movie. I know, she deserved better. While walking home from the club, she's run off the road by an actual military convoy coming down the highway. Dick. She falls into this pile of garbage and cuts her thigh with broken glass. Like, it's just sticking out of there. Ouch. And, like, we kind of leave her for a second, and we follow the military convoy as it rolls up to this army base that's nearby. Now, the movie tries to keep this whole part of the plot shrouded in mystery throughout the whole thing. Huh. Which adds... Seems familiar. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It adds to the intrigue, but I'm going to spare us the titillation so the rest of this will make sense, okay? Oh, thank God. No, I know. Yeah. I know. Go on. We're ramping up to a zombie apocalypse here. And this is basically how it all started. Unlike a lot of zombie movies, you don't become a zombie from being bit by them. This mutation that turns people into zombies is caused by inhaling a gas known in this movie as DC2. So it's airborne. Then, once a person is infected, just coming into close contact with their body will get you infected, which is how it gets out of control so quickly. 
And the origin of the gas is couched in this military mission to Pakistan. While searching for Osama bin Laden in Pakistan, a group of soldiers and special agents were exposed to DC-2, which caused the soldiers to mutate. Thanks, bin Laden. (laughs) And the only cure for this mutation is to take in small controlled amounts of DC-2. That's why when the army rolls up on the base, the first thing we notice is that many of them are wearing gas masks and carrying tanks with this DC-2 in it. The first person in the convoy we meet is a man by the name of Abby. Pick up your pants. <laughs> Pick them up. We're recording. Naveen! Can we need professionals, please? I love him! Oh my god. Naveen, call me. I can see you've had a spot of trouble, Romy. Would you like to tell me what happened? Uh, they escaped. Uh, all three. Yeah, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't know how they did it, just, they got up. I'm sorry, Romy, but I just don't trust you anymore. Abby is a chemical engineer involved with the creation of DC-2, but we don't really know why he just has, like, a stockpile of it. This is the base where he stores test subjects he's been experimenting on to find a cure for this mutation. But the subjects have escaped! You see the cage they were in? All the bars have been blown out on it. It's like in Jurassic Park. Yeah, no kidding. At the beginning of Jurassic Park when, when you're the... like, oh, <laughs> we're missing something, aren't we? Oh, man. And Abby's pissed that his goon lost these subjects. The goon is very apologetic. Oh, my God. But Abby won't hear it. What? What is this? This is where we have to talk about Abby's preoccupation with testicles. He's just cutting people's balls off the whole time. He's got bags of them. He's got a jar, like, full of, like, everybody who's wronged him. He's he's castrated them. I, ju- I just don't know. That knife? That knife that he pulls out? It looks just like that super scary knife that the yellow bastard holds in yep. Sin City. Yep. I bet it's the same knife. I bet. As this guy is getting his balls sliced off, he's trying to yell to the soldiers who have been infected with the gas. He's like, hey, you don't need Abby. I know where you can get more gas. He's holding out on you. And that gets the attention of one Lieutenant Muldoon. Hi, Bruce. Bruce Willis is here. He heard the goon say that there was more gas. And now he's shitty with Abby for holding out on him. Because remember, he's also got one of those gas masks and the tank of DC-2. Like, all their tanks have run out of DC-2. And he's stooping down to question Abby. And as he's questioning him, you see his skin is starting to bubble Uh. And mutate? No. Ooh. Yucky, yucky, yucky. I'll ask you one more time. Where's the shit everywhere? Abby fires a gun at these tanks of DC-2 to cause a distraction so he can get away. And all of that gas just starts spewing into the air. And that's when I kind of realized he caused all this. Yeah, like, I feel like this is mostly his fault. Yeah. Like, he's the one running for the gas. Like, he's the one that, like, puts it in the air. Like, come on. This is all his fault, really. 
Now we go to a charming little roadside eatery called The Bone Shack. Best barbecue in Texas. The Bone Shack is one of those places that manages to endure no matter how many bad Yelp reviews there are. Yeah. The food is that good. Sure. Sure, there's no soap in the bathroom and there's complimentary beer all over the sticky floor, <laughs> but it, it's still uh, open. Yeah. And it is owned by J.T. Haig. Um, he makes me both uncomfortable and delighted all at the same time. Time, I and know. I kind of hate it. JT is a character. He's fucking weird. He's just a good old boy with an award-winning barbecue sauce recipe that he's very protective of. And that will remain his chief concern <laughs> throughout the remainder of the film. I know. There's, there's, a, there's an apocalypse that's going to happen, but he really needs to keep the secret <laughs> of that barbecue recipe from anyone trying to get at it. He is the Mr. Krabs of this whole operation. Exactly. He's always trying to make a buck. He's got the barbecue. Barbecue, there's gas pumps outside, and there, he bottles his own spring water from a nearby dam. How gross is that? This is a weird product line. <laughs> on this night, a woman named Tammy pulls up to the bone shack to pop her hood on her overheating car. It's Fergie. Fergie Ferg is here! God, she just looks amazing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, she banging. She's in this movie for five seconds, but I love every minute of it. JT is trying to get her to come inside for some barbecue, but she can't be bothered. She has places to be. We're serving inside tonight. Best barbecue in Texas around the clock. I gotta go. Saving lives, are you? Now, how did you know that? So, Ferg has acting chops? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Put a pin in Fergie. We'll come back to her later. Let me get my Fergie voodoo doll. Oh, no. Pin placed. We're still meeting characters at this point in the narrative, which brings us to the Block family. Father William, played by Josh Brolin, Mother Dakota, that's Marley Shelton, and son Tony, who was played by Robert Rodriguez's son, Rebel Rodriguez. The writer of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. <laughs> No, seriously, guys. Robert Rodriguez conceived the idea of Shark Boy and Lava Girl from dreams his children had. Isn't that great? It is great. Uh. I used to say a prayer for your old man. No dead bodies for Dad Dad tonight. No dead bodies for Dad tonight. Amen. Amen. Both William and Dakota are in the medical field. I think he's a doctor, and I think she's an anesthesiologist. I can't say this word Anesthesiologist. Ever. Anesthesiologist. Thank you very much. William also does part-time as an asshole. Oh, my God. Like an absolute cock. He is an abusive, scary asshole. Yeah. And she's kind of stuck in this marriage right now. And um, she's of a different persuasion, but like we'll talk more about that. They're getting ready for a night shift at the hospital, and from the jump, Dakota is acting suspicious, because she's got secret plans tonight. She's planning on leaving Tony with a babysitter until her, quote, friend can come pick him up. A friend of mine will be here before 10 to pick up Tony. I'm going to eat your brains and gain your knowledge. What did I tell you? No playing with toys at the table. Didn't I tell you that? Yeah. There's a packed suitcase under his bed. Give it to Tony to take with him when my friend picks him up. Dakota's typing on her sidekick, 
Her what? Her sidekick. Is that a phone? Yes. Or a pager? I don't know. It's no. 2007. Yeah. It would have been a phone, it's right? It's a 2007 phone. Oh, when she slides it and starts typing, I'm like, I had one of those. It has buttons. She types, hurry, my love. I think he knows. And then as soon as William comes in the room, she like snaps it shut and hides it. I just think it's really funny that you mistyped William and typed Willema. <laughs> He would hate that, and that makes me happy. Yes, he would. We cut back to Cherry, who's picking glass out of her leg in the bathroom at the bone shack. Great place to be treating an open wound. Absolutely. Would you like a side of staph infection to go with your barbecue? Oh, no! She goes into the seating area and sits down, and this is where her past waltzes in through the door. Oh, God. We finally get introduced to our leading man. Freddy Rodriguez appears as the infamous El Rey. Everybody just calls him Ray in these parts. They purposefully make El Rey out to be this mysterious figure, like almost like he's something out of a Western. Like he's inexplicably proficient in weapons and combat. He's an expert shot. A really Harvey Oswald. Like he never misses. Just ask him. He'll tell you. And he sees Cherry sitting alone and he goes over to say, high because they used to be a thing like a deep thing yeah like he was planning to marry her deep hello palomita i don't go by that name anymore why not because it's the name you gave me when he knew her his name for her was palomita (laughs) it was like his little pet name for her palomita And when I put that into Google Translate, it came back with the word popcorn. (laughs) Uh, My little popcorn. So I... (laughs) I I love it. I think that's Robert Rodriguez having some fun with us as an audience. Sure. It's like when you buy a t-shirt in Japan with some kanji on it and it says like soup in kanji. You know how, you know what my favorite thing is? What? You know how to say Hufflepuff in français? Tell me. Pouf souffle. Pouf souffle! <laughs> <laughs> Language is fun. I only know that because Bailey used to translate the Harry Potter books into French. <laughs> Cherry's talking about how she's planning to start a new life as a stand-up comedian, which will come back in a truly tasteless way. Yeah, I was like, oh, what? She's not serious, right? And you were like, Ross, it's a joke. No, yeah. She doesn't think she's funny, but everybody else apparently finds her hilarious. Yeah. And, like, he's going to walk out. He's tired of trying to make nice with her. And finally, she looks up and goes, can I have a ride? Because she doesn't want to walk all the way home with an open, bleeding wound. I mean, I wouldn't either. Don't blame her in the slightest. Now we're at the hospital. First up on the docket for Dr. William Block is a patient named Joe, who has come in with a serious lesion on his arm. It looks like he's been bit by something. Yeah, it's nasty. Take a look at that shit. That in your arm. Well, uh, I got bit. Bit? Bit by what? Well, if I told you, you probably wouldn't believe me. Nick Cat is back. Remember, he was the Nazi with the Nazi tattoo. Not in this. No, not in this. No. No, he's just some poor schmo who's been attacked by these uh, by these zombies. They call them sickos in the movie. Yeah, they should. But, but they're zombies. And they also find that he has these really disgusting, squishy abscesses on his tongue And, like, he's running a fever of 105. And even though he got bit, like, an hour ago, he has advanced gangrene in his arm. Too advanced. Like, Like, 
it should There has not been enough time allotted for this to be this advanced. That's how fast this mutation is moving. And so they're going to admit him to the hospital because they have to amputate the arm. Doctor- <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, no. <laughs> I love it. He's like, what arm? My arm? <laughs> we got to lose the arm, Joe. Lose arm? What do you mean, lose arm? My arm? It's spreading all the way up to your shoulder. Now, if we don't sever that arm now, it's going to take over your chest, and we can't very well cut that off, can we? Well, shouldn't I get a second opinion? So he calls Dakota in to sedate him. And this is where we get the childish explanation for what she calls her three friends. These three hypodermic needles in her pocket. Oh, boy. My yellow friend. It's just to take the sting. Ah. My blue friend. You'll barely feel. That means my yellow friend has already taken effect. See how fast my friends work? And after my red-headed friend, you'll never see me again. Why are we being so creepy about the anesthetic? For the audience. <laughs> That's why. They're not here to put these patients at ease, obviously. All right, remember Tammy? Yes. Fergie Ferg? Ferg. The gal with the overheating car. Indeed. Well, it starts to overheat again, and she's pulled over to the side of the road to deal with it when she is attacked by these sickos, these zombies. Oh, my God. And, like, she's in the road and no one will stop to help her. And I'm like, will you please help save Grammy Award-winning artist Fergie? (laughs) But no, no one will stop. And the sickos are actually played by the Black Eyed Peas. They are not. They're not. But wouldn't that be amazing? (laughs) <laughs> it's so funny. Just Will I Am in yes. zombie makeup. In sicko getup. Yes. yes. As they're dragging her off the road, El Ray drives by with Cherry in his truck, and they see her getting dragged off. They don't know it's a human. They think it's people picking up roadkill to eat. And I'm like, it quite obviously was not that. But like, it's dark. Whatever narrative. <laughs> And we get this whole conversation about if you ever see a deer dart out in front of you while you're zooming down the highway, you just have to hit it. If you break or blink or swerve, you're dead. I've done this and I have never swerved. I, I know, right? Yeah. Right at that moment, a zombie runs out in front of him. And guess what? He swerves. Dumbass. Oh, fuck! Upside down in the cab of this truck, and he looks over at Cherry. Cherry. I thought you said if you saw a deer, you shouldn't fucking swerve. There wasn't a deer. These zombies break into the cab and drag Cherry out into the woods, and Ray takes out this military rifle with a scope on it. Um, This is not the kind of thing you normally have on a gun rack in Texas. It's not the thing most people should really have, but, like, I guess it comes in handy here. (laughs) Like, if the zombie apocalypse ever actually comes, we're going to need the South. Absolutely. (laughs) You know what I mean? But the zombies... Take Cherry's right leg. Yup. Like, from the knee down, she has no leg. And so, 
Ray rushes her to the hospital and he brings her in and tells everyone their car was attacked and these sickos took Cherry's leg with them, which of course piques the interest of law enforcement. There we have Sheriff Haig. Yes, this is Sheriff Haig. He arrives to take El Ray in for questioning. Hey, Ray, not supposed to have that big gun, are you? What are you doing with the rifle, Ray? Nothing. Thinking about maybe doing some hunting when the season breaks. Come on, Ray. You know you're not supposed to be doing that stuff anymore. Not even hunting? Not even hunting. And you know that. Not with your history. No, he's not supposed to have a firearm on him. Parole. Well, here's the thing. I've always assumed it was for parole. But Haig specifically says, not with your history. Ray is canonically a military-trained agent. Like, the military are the ones who trained him to be a perfect shot. That's why he can't have a gun, because he's lethal with it. Oh, 100% of the time. Never misses, I guess. The phone rings, and Sheriff Haig picks it up, and his brother, JT, is on the other line at the Bone Shack. Oh, God. Remember Best Barbecue in Texas? Wait a minute. They're brothers? Yes, they are. I never caught that. Yep. I never... Is that why he wants to know the barbecue recipe so badly? Yeah, that's the thing. JT's trying to make some complaints about these kids who are loitering outside the bone shack, and the sheriff is just interrogating him about the barbecue recipe. So the sheriff is the plankton of this whole thing. (laughs) Yes! Yes. Yes. Okay. You cook that meat at 250 degrees, don't you? I don't remember. I set the heat with my hand. You give me that recipe or I'll raise your rent higher at Georgia Pine. Brother, ain't no Texans ever gonna give you his barbecue recipe. That's a fact. He'll take you to his grave. I could be bleeding like a stuck pig. I ain't gonna tell you. I could be dying in your arms. I ain't gonna tell you. <laughs> we'll see about that. Those waters are deep. Apparently. God. Like, I just I just love how that comes back, where he's like, I could be dying in your arms and I wouldn't tell you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That'll come he's back. taking that receipt to his grave. Meanwhile, Tammy Vizon's body has been discovered and brought into the hospital. I don't know why they brought her here, because she's obviously deceased. She needs to go directly to a pathologist. But nope, they brought her to the hospital so we could have this tense confrontation between Dr. Block and Dakota. Can we all bow our heads for Tammy just real quick? Yeah, a, a moment of silence for Tammy Vizon. Okay, and now with musical program to follow. <laughs> I got a feeling Ooh. that tonight's gonna... Sorry. <laughs> Tonight is not gonna be a good <laughs> no, night. it really isn't. No. I have horrible news, Fergie. And Dr. Block calls Dakota out of wherever she is to see Tammy's body, and she is horrified. Like, the, pe- the like fuck this paramedic for making this joke. <laughs> he turns her skull to one side. Looks like a no-brainer. What does that mean? No brain. Scoop clean out of her skull. Dr. Block recognizes Tammy. He knows who she is because she and Dakota used to mess around. Remember when she was texting that person? Like, hurry up, baby, I think he knows. It was Fergie. Yeah, Tammy was the one who was supposed to come pick Tony up so that she and Dakota and Tony could all escape together. And they'd be lining down the block just to watch what she got. (laughs) Stop. Sorry. Oh, my God. This is where Josh Brolin gets scary. I expected him to be more useful as the movie went on, and he is just not. Yeah, He's just here to be scary and a, a... 
a, a, a cock. As Sheriff McGraw says, he's about as useless as a pecker on a pulp. <laughs> yeah. I love that bit. And then he goes into that room where Dakota is crying, and he starts questioning her about whether or not they've been communicating, and she's lying because she's going to be killed if she doesn't, but he doesn't believe her. He takes those little syringes out of her pocket and starts stabbing her hand with the sedation needle. Ah! It to me. Now let's see how fast your friends work. It's so rough just watching the terror in her eyes as both her hands go completely numb. And then spends the next 20 minutes looking like a T-Rex. Oh, God. Yeah. He's getting ready to kill her over the fact that she's cheating on him. Dr. Block! I know! Willema! Stop! (laughs) And just as he goes to stab her with that red needle, the paramedic gets his attention. He's like, you gotta come see this. So he just locks Dakota in that exam room and follows this paramedic to where they've been keeping all the dead bodies, people who have come in with these mutations... They're all gone. Well, I ain't sitting up with the dead no more. I don't know about you. There's like a trail of blood out of the hospital where they all got up and walked out. How did like a dozen dead bodies get up and leave with no one noticing? Ladies and gentlemen, the hospital will be closing early. (laughs) (laughs) Please please say your final goodbyes and get the hell out of Dodge. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Back at the police station, practical effects artist Tom Savini is here (laughs) playing a deputy who, I love this because he gets to be, he gets to do his practical effects thing with his character. He answered a disturbance call over at the Go-Go Club, and when he intervened, the guy bit his finger clean off. Oh, Deputy Savini. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. Somebody kick this perp from me before I fucking kill him. What the hell's going on? Oh, he was causing the ruckus over at Stiff Place, so I coughed the Son of a bitch. He bit my goddamn finger off. Quit your hollering and get yourself a goddamn band-aid. He was exaggerating, using colorful speech, Sheriff. He bit my finger clean off. And they all go out with guns to the police car where this guy supposedly is being held. But he's like broken a window and crawled out. And this guy, this this infected guy starts an assault on the police department with other zombies. There's zombies coming out of every dark shadow, just out of nowhere, like they're being ambushed. Is this when things just start exploding? Yeah. For no reason? (laughs) Like, how are the zombies causing the explosions? We don't know. Like, like, I get it. There's a lot of wrecked vehicles around, but like... (laughs) That doesn't mean that wrecked vehicles just spontaneously combust, (laughs) at least not in a military way. But in Grindhouse movies, they do. They do. They just explode for no GD reason. And I'm here for it, honestly. I love it when Tom Savini is punching that one zombie in the solar plexus and shooting the gun as he's punching. Yeah, that's fun. And, and just like you said last week with Kill Bill, everybody here's got high blood pressure. Because that blood is spurting. <laughs> spurting! Just like old faithful. Deputy Savini, cut the salt. This is when Ray decides that while he's still handcuffed, he's going to get in the truck 
and go get Cherry from the hospital. Because we're obviously in the middle of a zombie apocalypse now. A lot of hand problems in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, nobody can use their hands appropriately. Everyone's either handcuffed or anesthetized. Or loose or has lost their finger. You're right. Cut to Dakota Block throwing herself out of a second story window. I mean, the way I the way I laughed, <laughs> I was just not expecting it. I was like, Wendy Peppercorn, no. <laughs> That's the only way she can get out of that room. She doesn't have the use of her hands. But now she's gonna try and drive. She manages to get herself to the car. It's one of those older cars where you have to push the button while you pull the handle. Yeah. And um, what she does is she slips her hand inside the handle so she can try and push the button with her other hand and pull. Well, push the button with her foot. Yeah, yeah, she's trying to push it with her foot. And uh, she loses her footing. <laughs> dislocates her wrist on the way down. Uh, it makes the grossest sound. No, I like had to fast forward it. I had to fast forward it when I watched it the second time. I was like, this is too gross. Yeah, no, this no. This is too gross. All the blood effects and everything, but I can't handle the wrist popping. She manages to get herself into the car, put the key in the ignition with her teeth, puts the car in reverse with her watch, and she just speeds out of there just as the sheriff... Ray and the rest of the posse show up to the hospital. The sheriff won't let Ray have a gun because he's a death machine with it. So Ray just reaches into the glove box, pulls out one of his many butterfly knives and charges into the hospital. He just starts shredding through sickos one after the other, trying to get to Cherry. He goes to Cherry's room, finds her still reeling from the emotional and physical trauma of losing her leg. Sorry, Cherry. She's so upset. Motherfucker, look at me! Look at me! I was gonna be a stand-up comedian. Who's gonna laugh now? Would you stop crying over fucking spilt milk? I have no leg! I was gonna be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> God, why? Oh no. And so, Ray's solution is to bust a table leg at the perfect height, by the way. Yeah. He got it just right, and he jams it into that bandage. No, you do. What do you think? What the fuck? This, this is not how prosthesis works. No, it's not, but it's a movie. <laughs> special effects on this are pretty good. It looks really real. It's a CGI table leg, and Rose McGowan is wearing a bright green cast that restricts her movement on her leg, and then the, the table leg, or the gun later, is just grafted over it. It looks post. real. Yeah. It looks real. They did a good job. So they get the fuck out of there. And we cut back to the block residence, where these two twin babysitters are watching Tony, and they're pissed off. Because obviously Tammy never arrived to pick Tony up. Yeah, they're upset. And <laughs> Dakota, who has no time for their shit, kicks them out without paying them. <laughs> and she gets all of Tony's stuff. 
and like gets him out of the house and like she's gonna drive off with him but then like the babysitters start attacking her car yeah they're like really pissed about not being paid (laughs) and I'm like this is an apocalypse ladies can we have some perspective Fucking her car up. <laughs> they don't care if they die trying to get this money. <laughs> what could it have been? Like 1050? I don't know. <laughs> okay. This part of the movie is especially horrible, so I need everybody to really brace themselves. Dakota and Tony pull up to the home of her father, Sheriff Earl McGraw. I really don't like that all of these universes are intertwined. Because it makes no sense. Why doesn't it make sense? Come on. The Kill Bill universe and the zombie apocalypse universe are (laughs) intertwined. Hey, I totally buy it. I totally buy it. I don't. I just don't. (laughs) Anyway. And she's honking the horn at the house and he won't come outside. I don't know why she's here. Because they don't have a good relationship. I don't know if she's just here to say bye or say, hey, we're getting the fuck out of Dodge. Come with us. But she's going to leave Tony in the car to go to the door. And she has Tony... Take a handgun out of the glove box. And she tells him, And if anyone comes to the door, that isn't me. I want you to shoot them, okay? I'm not kidding, Tony. You shoot them. Just like your video games. You shoot them in the head. What if it's dad? Especially if it's your dad. She's not ten steps away from this car. When Robert Rodriguez does something unforgivable. Remember, this is his kid playing Tony. She's halfway to the front door when you see a flash go off in the car. Tony! Yeah, that kid accidentally kills himself. Shot himself in the face. And it's just so senseless. It's almost like the kid was going to be too much bother for the rest of the narrative. And they just had to get rid of him there in the middle. And Robert Rodriguez did not tell Rebel that he killed him in the movie. Bad form, Bob. He's just like, someone asked him, why did you do that? And he's like, oh, well, I'll tell him the same time I tell him about Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. God. And I killed you in that movie. And like, I just, I just, it's just in horror and gore, it's just so tasteless to kill children. I know. It's just, it's a pet peeve of mine. It's a movie. Sheriff Haig, Ray, Cherry, their posse, and the survivors from the hospital all end up outside the bone shack. And Tom Savini brings this bright red shoebox up to Haig, and it's got this handwritten label on it that says, The All or Nothing Box. (laughs) I love this. It's full of deputy badges. Haig deputizes everyone who can still run and shoot a gun. We've come to the missing reel scene. This is one of my favorite bits in the whole movie. While everyone is rounding up supplies in the bone shack. Which, what the fuck are they rounding up? What has he got in there? Ammunition, guns. Spring water. Yeah. (laughs) You're right. And the disgusting thing about this scene is this is where JT discovers that if you add blood to his barbecue sauce... It perfects it. Jesus. Like that's the one missing ingredient. Peaches and onions, the cure to foot odor. (laughs) And I feel like if this movie had gone a different way, we would have gotten a sequel called J.T. Haig, the Demon Barbecuer of Nowhere, Texas. Stop. (laughs) 
the demon barbecue of nowhere, Texas. Stop. It doesn't quite work. It doesn't quite work, no. And, like, Cherry is taking a minute in JT's room, and Ray comes in to join her, and he closes the door, and they start hashing out all their emotional shit. Is this the time? Yes, this is the time. Is this the time? And he's been complaining about this motorcycle jacket this whole movie. This jacket she's been wearing that she stole from him when she walked out on him. So, if you're going to go on one of your psycho-obsessive controlling rants about a fucking jacket, then fucking take it, because I'd rather fucking freeze and fucking hear about it one more time. Did you find what was in the pocket? Fuck no. Look for it. And she reaches into the pocket and pulls out a heart-shaped ring box. He was going to propose to her. Oh, my God. He even had the ring inscribed. Uh, It says, two against the world. (laughs) Okay, okay. You're so not touched. I'm I'm not. And that's fine. This movie, I... So the slow piano starts, and they start getting busy. Is this the time? Undressing and macking on each other, all these softcore close shots of them getting nasty. There is shit happening outside. (laughs) There are zombies devouring the citizenry. And they are getting busy. The age filter that they've put on this film to make it look really old starts getting worse and more intense. It's blinking and warping. And then all of a sudden, the picture just stops and the film strip actually melts. Yeah. And you just get this title card that says, Missing Real. Sorry for the inconvenience, theater management. We can't show you the fucking. We're so sorry. I just love that because that's a thing that used to happen in theaters. Like the projector would overheat and it would literally melt the film strip. And the resounding, ah. <laughs> we don't get to see the sex scene. What? So they boned in the bone shack. Yeah, they sure did. Oh my God. And when the film comes back, we've clearly missed like 20 minutes of action. The bone shack is on fire. We have no idea how or why. The Zambies are coming. The Zambies. You wrote Zambies instead of zombies. (laughs) The Zambies are coming. (laughs) Tom Savini has accidentally shot the sheriff. What a twist. The deputy shot the sheriff. Deputy Savini. (laughs) Skip, the crazy babysitter twins, Earl and Dakota, have all inexplicably shown up as well. Everybody's barricading themselves in the bone shack. The time is near. And the... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's very uh, lame is. The sheriff... (laughs) The sheriff finally gives Ray a gun, and he starts doing all this fancy handiwork with him. That boy's got the devil in him. Gotta fight them all. Get to our vehicles. Ray orders Hag and JT to round up everybody they can to fit in the truck and the convertible. Cherry's driving the motorcycle. Useless talent number 32. Ah, yes, yes, there it is. And then Ray needs another car. He'd take Dakota's, but she's got three blown tires. So, Ross, do you remember what Ray rides away from the bone shack on in the Survivor Convoy? The pocket bike! (laughs) He looks ridiculous! 
ridiculous. Yeah, Tony's toy pocket bike that was in the trunk of her car. Oh, it belonged to the kid that shot himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's this little mini motorbike for kids. And the sight of Freddy Rodriguez following the convoy down the road on this child's motorbike, his knees in his ears. It's so hilarious. to escape the city, they're getting ready to cross the bridge out of town when the goddamn military cuts them off. Hi, Bruce. Yep, Bruce is back. We see Bruce Willis again as Muldoon. And here's the thing, here's another thing I've never noticed. Muldoon knows Ray by name. All survivors gotta come with us. Especially you. El Ray. I don't go by that name anymore. They knock Ray out and take everyone else hostage back with them to the military base where this all started. And when Ray comes to, he's in a cell with the rest of the survivors, including Abby, the chemical engineer who's obsessed with testicles. Yeah, the one you're really into. <laughs> I'm into Naveen, okay? I'm not, not, not Abby. I'm not into Abby, even though Abby is gorgeous because he's Naveen, but no, I he's digress. obsessed with balls. I know. And detached testicles. I digress. Abby's filling them in on everything I already told you at the beginning. About the gas, where it comes from, the fact that the soldiers need it so they don't mutate. And Abby tells them that he can develop an antidote from the survivor's genetic material. Because obviously all these people in this cell, they haven't been infected yet. Yeah. Despite coming in contact with all these zombies. And so (laughs) he knows that he can make an antidote from them, but he needs to get to his lab first. And before he can explain any further, here comes Quentin Tarantino to ruin everything. I can't look right at him. I know! I have nothing to say to you. You got nothing to say, huh? That's funny. Because I could have swore you just gave me a fuck you look right now. You want to say fuck you to me? Not at this moment. Don't taunt me, Tramp. I am not one to be taunted. You got it? I'd actually like to skim over most of this part of the movie because it's another scene that's woefully unnecessary and at a minimum in bad taste given Rose McGowan's off-camera history because Tarantino is playing one of the infected army guys with the gas mask and he takes Cherry and Dakota into another room and he starts making Cherry dance for him before he assaults her. And the thing that I just can't get over is that Rose McGowan said she felt Rodriguez exploited her with this scene after she confided in him about what Weinstein had done to her, putting her through a scene like this, you know what I mean? And Rodriguez says that she shouldn't have a complaint because she signed on for the script that was shot, and that just makes me crazy because this is a woman who's trying to claw her way out of the ditch of obscurity that Weinstein threw her in, right? Yeah. Like, what choice did she have? And this scene was in no way necessary. If they wanted this scene so bad, why did it have to be Rose? Or a man, even. Yeah. But it had to be Rose for them, and that just makes me feel so icky. And his defense for even putting this in there is that it sets Cherry up to do some real damage to this guy. And that part is satisfying. First of all, she busts her table leg and then uses the splintered end to stab him through the eye. Her table leg leg. Oh my god. Yes. Dance for me, motherfucker. Ah! Ah! 
got one functioning eye, but for some reason that's not enough of a deterrent. He pulls down his pants and the look on everybody's face. If you have a weak stomach, please take this opportunity to tap the skip button. We'll see you in 15 seconds. We see it from behind. He hasn't been wearing his gas mask, so his body is starting to mutate and fall apart. And when he pulls down his pants, we see his junk is falling off. His dick melts off in front of everybody. Oh my god! <gasps> your gas! You need your gas! No, fuck the gas! Fuck it! I'm just gonna have to make this quick. And like, he's not deterred. He's like, I'm just gonna make this quick. I'm like, with what? With what? Oh! Like, your dick's gone. (laughs) I took his weapons away. Yes. Both of them. Both of them. And before he can get at Cherry, Dakota whips out this little gun she has in a garter on her thigh. It's got those anesthetic needles loaded into it. Where'd you get that? Useless talent number 37. back in her hands. I'm sorry. I thought we broke our wrists. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> yeah, I know. It, they make you think she broke both wrists, but now she can fire a anesthetic gun? What? Meanwhile, Ray and Abby have concocted an escape plan from their cell by faking an altercation in the cell so the guards have to open the door. And once the guards are in the cell, Everyone turns on the guards. Abby and Ray get in the elevator. They go down to the lab where Lieutenant Muldoon is already down there trying to find the antidote to the DC-2. This has big boss energy, but it's not really that dramatic at all. I just need to mention that you've written Lieutenant Muldoon is down in Abby's labby (laughs) trying to find the antidote. Guys, I type so fast. You do. I type so fast that I miss Lavi. I make funny mistakes sometimes. You really do the most hilarious mistakes. Anyway. And this is where Bruce gives us the deep cut on how this DC-2 got discovered. Like they were just poking around Afghanistan looking for bin Laden. Fuck the CIA. Anyway. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Moving on. That's for another podcast. Yes. We weren't supposed to be there, and I sure as fuck wasn't supposed to be the one to punch his dialysis ticket. So instead of a chest full of metals, we got a face full of DC-2. No cure. That is, not until we found somebody from the other side willing to solve batches of this shit. Science comes first, but business comes a close fucking second. Then you realized if you could infect a large enough populace, experiment on its survivors, you'd find a cure. We're always going to release this gas into the world, the military was, because it would give them an opportunity to experiment on people and find the cure. Hence, why all the survivors in the movie were in that cell, so the army could play around with their blood and find a cure for this horrible mutation. What? I know. I j- it's all, it's so much. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. As Muldoon is monologuing, he's swelling up and starting to get more and more Cronenberg-like because all of his gas is gone. Yeah. And Ray knows he has no choice but to kill him. Understand. I never had a choice. You know who I, sir? God bless you in your service to this country. (laughs) 
And he's like, God bless you and your service to this country. Oh, my God. (laughs) And that's the end of Lieutenant Muldoon. So we're coming to the end of this. This last scene is just chaos, but we're going to give you the broad strokes, okay? Abby and Ray arrive in time to save Cherry and Dakota from the mutating guards, right? And this is where we finally get to see the machine gun leg. This is not how prosthesis works. Right now, I need you to become who you're meant to be. Stand. Open that door, will you, baby? I don't care how little sense it makes. I need a whole fucking movie about Cherry and her machine gun leg. How is she firing this thing? I don't. It's a movie. It's completely hands-free. I don't know. It's like once she raises it above a certain height, it just goes off for no reason. Yeah, I, I don't know. Now they've got an escape plan. The survivors are going to get out by taking two military helicopters that are sitting nearby. You want to talk about how they remotely blow up the lab? Oh, yeah, because the Higgs are real messed up, right? Yeah, both Sheriff Haig and his brother JT, they've both got mortal wounds. And they're still trying to get that recipe out of JT. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. Ray comes over to him and he hands JT this detonator. And he's like, hey, since you're going to die anyway, would you please blow this place to kingdom come once we get out of here? Aw, eggs. This is like the closest thing to a sweet moment that happens in this movie. Okay. Because. Okay. Haig finally gets the recipe out of JT. They're going to die anyway, right? Yeah, no. Remember, he's like, I could be dying in your arms. I wouldn't tell you. And he. Yeah. Aw, you hurt me with that. Yeah. Oh, no. You just remember. You got to take this recipe to your grave. I think I can goddamn guarantee that. obstacle before they get to the helicopters which is another horde of mutated soldiers and abby tells them to play it safe because if they all get killed he can't make an antidote right Mm -hmm. so his ass goes ahead first checking to see if the coast is clear and he pokes his head around this corner and one of the soldiers splits his head with a sniper shot yeah I don't suppose there are any other biochemical engineers around? I don't care what anyone says. She's funny and should be a stand-up comedian. She should, but, uh, yeah, everybody thinks she's funny. She doesn't (laughs) think she's funny. So now even if they get out of this, there's no one to develop a cure. Like, we're not going back to normal, folks. And so the survivors break cover, start running for the helicopters, Cherry's being a badass with the machine gun leg, etc., etc., until this soldier almost gets the drop on her. He's going to shoot her in the back, but Ray gets him first. And unfortunately, the soldier returns fire, mortally wounding him. Big wounds in the chest. (laughs) Oh man, there's no coming back from this. And like, they're trying to have this romantic moment, 
And meanwhile, oh my God. meanwhile, in the background, they've already started taking the first helicopter up. Skip is the one who's driving the helicopter. And one of my favorite stunts in this whole movie is when he pitches that helicopter forward as they drift along the ground so that they can just shred mutilate, mutated soldiers. Oh, yeah, just chopping them up with the <laughs> helicopter blades. Just... <laughs> It's great. It is great. Meanwhile, Ray is dying in Cherry's arms, and he tells her, make sure that you take care of everyone. Go to the ocean. Put your backs to it. Protect yourselves there. Now leave me, Ray. Two against the world. It will be. I promise. I never miss. Gross. He's implying that he's definitely impregnated her. Ah, okay. It's like a sixth sense. He just knows. Ah, okay. His little swimmers never miss. And so he dies. She starts sobbing, gives him one last little kiss on his dead lips. I will never let go, Jack. (laughs) Yeah, and she gets picked up by the helicopter, and they drift off into an epilogue. And like 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 Ray said, all of the survivors end up in Mexico. This ending. Oh my god. It's like the end of a fantasy film. I'm like, <laughs> what's happening? Cherry's giving us a little epilogue. It's like you said it would be, Ray. I'm like you said I would be. I find the lost. The weary. Those that have no hope. I find them. And I lead them. A land we've made for ourselves. Like she's like the leader of this little nomad tribe of humans. With the with 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 a gun for a leg. I know it's so cool. Baby got an upgrade though. We get that last little scene where a zombie just tumbles out of the brush and is gonna attack some kids, and she pulls back her dress, lifts up her leg, and it's like a Gatlin gun now. How is this working? <laughs> We see the baby, the baby she gave birth to. It's beautiful. She's beautiful. I wish you could see us. Us too. It's like you said it would be. Two against the world, baby. Two against the world. This has been 100% a roller coaster. <laughs> Not just this film, (laughs) but this whole month. (laughs) I couldn't take Sin City seriously. I don't know how I took this more seriously (laughs) than that. Why do you think I like movies like Sin City and Kill Bill and Planet Terror? Because they're a combination, they're a multi-genre combination of things that you like. Yeah, honestly. And that's kind of what Kill Bill is. It's Tarantino's multi-genre tribute to all of his favorite movies. And I kind of feel like this movie's a tribute to the bad Grindhouse films. I mean, it is. It's not like a, it's not, there's no kind of about it. Yeah. It's a direct reference. And I feel like Sin City is about, obviously, neo-noir films. So yeah, you got your, you got your comic books, you've got your zombie shit. <laughs> it's all crap that you're into. Yeah. You know. And like, I just, I, these movies are so silly, 
They are. You know, yeah, it's it's the it's it's both shock value and just the general silliness of everything. You like to watch me squirm at gore and you like gore. <laughs> I do. You're into gore. Like so I can understand why you like these movies. Like I can I just I enjoy I enjoy the art behind gore, all the production that goes into that and making the special effects. You love Deputy Savini. Yes. And all of his special effects. Like if I could meet Tom Savini in real life, I would die happy. I I can just picture you sitting at a table smoking and drinking with Gail, uh, Beatrix Kiddo, and Cherry. Absolutely! And Cherry Darling. Oh my You'd god! You'd all get along famously. They'd all be my best fucking friends! <laughs> oh my god! Let's go kill horrible men together! Absolutely! Only the ones that deserve it, but I mean, come on! Oh well, maybe you'll go poke horrible men <laughs> to death together. Are you still salty about the end of Kill Bill? Yes. <laughs> And I will remain salty about it. So thank you, everybody, for sticking with me through my birthday month, enjoying the horrible, cheesy action movies I hold so near and dear. Another year of birthday selections down. Yeah. Wow. I know. Sorry I was so mad about the first one. (laughs) It's okay. I put you through quite a lot last August. We've been over this. You committed a crime. (laughs) You committed a crime by making me watch what I almost called it squirm. Slither. <laughs> because you squirm through the whole goddamn thing. When you squirm through Slither. Uh, yeah. And I will I will say, yeah, lots of gross shit in your selections this year. <laughs> but nothing that made me squirm like a worm in the way Slither did. So thank you for not committing another assault upon my eyes. <laughs> I appreciate it. Anytime, bud. Anytime. But um, now that we're finished with you, since you came first, uh-huh. guess who comes second? That would be you. That would be me. <laughs> and guys, um, I'm just going to go ahead and preemptively welcome you to the month of September and Ross's birthday month selections. Remember, my theme for my birthday month was action movies I enjoy. Not gritty crime. No, not gritty crime. I mistweeted. <laughs> And Ross has chosen his own theme for his birthday month. Ross, what is it? All four of my selections are going to be, if not themed, alien-related. Yes, these are going to be all your favorite alien movies. Yes. It's not going to be the best alien movies of all time. No, it's not. So don't get your hopes up. Don't hold out for the classics, please. (laughs) There's not going to be any Close Encounters of the Third Kind. No alien franchise. No alien. You'd have to pay a lot of money for me to talk about Jim Cameron again. But there will be Sigourney Weaver. There will be Sigourney (laughs) Weaver. So, Ross, why don't you go ahead and tell the people what your first alien movie for the month of September is going to be. Folks, next week, for my first selection of Ross's birthday month, we will be covering the 2005 Steven Spielberg remake, War of the Worlds. Let's let's talk about Tom Cruise running from aliens for two hours. Oh my god, and baby Dakota Fanning. Yeah, baby Dakota Fanning. And also, I wonder if Tom really liked this role. <laughs> I think it brought him closer to his god. Oh, gods. Oh no! We, Not the Thetan! 
We're gonna have to talk about Scientology again, aren't we? Oh my god! Uh, but no, yeah, it'll be great. You, like you said, Tom Cruise, Dakota Fanning, Morgan Freeman will be with us at the beginning and end. Yes! It will be nice. That Justin Chatwin dude, <laughs> who I don't like looking at. So look out for that next week, guys. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to join our little watch party. Give us the gift of championing the algorithm by leaving us a review. Pretty please. You did a lot of talking this month. I did. I'm going to do a lot of talking this month. Like, I don't know if y'all have noticed, but my voice is worn the F out. Ah, it's okay. (laughs) You'll have plenty of time to recuperate during the month of September. Oh, my God. Do you remember? The what night was I born? The twenty fourth <laughs> night of September. Anyway, more quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry mom. mom.